you've you've actually been in this field for quite some time in terms of covering we can say the fight game but sports in general i know you venture into sort of is it the denver nuggets you 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 have a sort of sweet spot for but what's the what's the beginning of of the career in this realm for you how do you get started um you know it's funny man because i i <clears throat> I always wanted to consider myself a writer, you know, a writer first. So I've always kind of carried that mentality to the to this sport. And I can remember even um, in the early days, and I'm talking when I say early days, I don't mean that back in the 90s when the UFC was getting going or anything like that. But like the lid, the, the, the mid to late aughts when it was like maybe 2007, 2008, I remember having a conversation with Ben Folks, who's another writer in the space and saying like, hey, man, is are we, are we taking something away from ourselves to jump into something like MMA to be known and identified through a sport like MMA? And, uh, cause those are the dark days essentially, right? Dark, darker than now, but still in the boom era, like it was kind of moving up. Like we didn't have a, we didn't have the Ronda Rousey's or the Conor McGregor's yet, but we had, you know, there was, there was the BJ pins and the Chuck Liddell's and those guys, um, and a lot of guys coming up and obviously the tough was already going all that stuff so it was at the moment where there was there was a chance because um nobody was chronicling the fight game at least in terms of mma you know very specific like old boxing chroniclers did uh when ali was around or even before that so i was like maybe this is a good outlet for writing in general not journalism per se but like to go in and actually try to be a storyteller to, uh, to be a humorist, to be a columnist, to, to really show your writing chops through the fight game. And I remember having that conversation with him and he was gung-ho, Ben Foltz, uh, about like jumping in and uh, and doing it because he was already kind of doing it. How, how did he know? How did he know each other prior? So there was a magazine called Fight Magazine, hmm. um, which I dabbled in very early on. It was uh, kind of one of the predecessors to a lot that's happened since, but uh, it was a really really great magazine. I, I miss it. I, you know, it's, it, it combined a lot of great voices in the game. And I remember seeing his name in there. And I, I think it was the first time I'd ever met him in New Jersey, there was a card. And uh, so I just had a conversation with him there. And basically asked him, you know, if that was enough to sustain him to think about going into MMA, you know, as a in the writing sense. And I remember him just being gung ho about going in. So I was thinking at that time, like, you know what, man, if 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 there's a if there if there are people doing this, maybe this would be a good idea. And um I just kinda I've been very guarded against putting myself into a situation where you get pigeonholed, like where people just think of you as oh, he's an MMA guy. I wanted people to think I was a writer, you know what I mean? Like that's what I set out to do. So I've tried to keep that spirit alive i know a lot of people will identify with my work and stuff as an mma you know fight game and maybe connections to ariel hawani and all these other guys but i've always wanted to maintain my own space as a writer and uh so every time i sit down to write a piece i that's in the spirit of what i'm still thinking you know what i mean i'm trying to uphold that original idea is that is the the pigeonholing you're referring to is that is that a common fear of of sports writers in general or do you find it more um emphasized when you go into something like MMA that's I mean just up and coming and it, the context I keep thinking of um Jeff Wagenheim you and um I think Luke and I think Ariel uh, w when you're sort of the four horsemen um there was some discussion about how in general uh within established newspapers sports writers were often denigrated in a way that seemed 
um, broadly unfair for two reasons. One was that the circulation, it seems like, depended largely on sports journalism or significantly on uh, sports journalism. Um, and the other aspect was that sports writers tended to actually be much more skillful in the general. Is the pigeonholing you're referring to, is that a common thing that you would have encountered anyway within sports writing? Uh, yes, yes. I know what you're saying, and I believe so. Yeah, I think there's a um, there's a stigma that comes with being a sports writer, even a good one, that that's basically the extent of something. It's a, There's a frivolous thing. It's a, It's still a metaphor. But at the same time, you know, sports has produced some of the best writing too. Uh, I grew up reading, like I was mentioning the boxing chroniclers, uh, you know, the Norman Mailers, guys like that, guys who dabbled, they weren't even like 100, you know, Norman Mailer was a lot more than just a guy who thought about boxing and boxed himself. He he did tons of stuff, but he was great at covering the game. So was AJ Liebling. Hmm. I read those types of names and I I just remember thinking back back then as you're kind of reading through, like these guys are as big as the event itself. Um, so how big is an event and what is a collective experience? So a sports writer at his best maybe is as big as the event itself, you know, or maybe bigger. Mark Pram, I always, I mentioned it when I went to the athletic and I had to write the, the little, uh, you know, why I joined the athletic column. And I, I mentioned the Mark Cram, uh, Lord, the, the, uh, the PC did about the thriller in Manila mm-hmm. right afterwards. When, you know, and I, I just, to me, that was the epitome of sports writing. That was uh, a guy who took a classic event and, you know, through time that, that event has become even more classic, but in big part because of him, you know, and guys like him who uh, did such a great job of humanizing it, painting the picture, uh, you know, breaking down a rivalry and just, you know, making it a human story essentially. And I'm like, that's as big in the right in writing in general as any kind of literary writing. And that's, that's its goal as well. So I feel like they're tied, they're tied in. Um, but if you say to somebody who's, uh, you know, there, there are serious writers and I know the conversation you're talking about on the beat. I remember this. Mm. Um, but if you're talking about serious writers, you know, the, the, the people who are out there, um, they believe they're writing literature or dealing in, you know, gravity and matter, like big, bigger issues and uh, bigger themes. And, you know, I get it. And I grew up reading a lot of that. And I'd say that there were plenty of times I aspired to be writing more of, you know, more of a literary figure than I am, you know, what I'm doing now, but I feel like I can do that just as well, um, with the sports writing. So it took me a minute to understand that, you know, to come around to communication in general, what is the idea, right? Only communicate. I felt like I could do that through, you know, how I ended up and through the fight game. Let's put it that way. Very specifically through the fight game, I could do all of that and feel content in how I'm uh, reaching an audience just the same as I could if I pursued like a, you know, literary career trying to break into the New Yorker or, you know, Paris Review or writing books. I felt like I could do the same thing through um, what I'm doing right now. I mean, historically, it seems like that relationship that you're talking about between literature and sports writing seemed to be much more fluid i mean i assuming it's the same jack london in terms of um my own academic area jack johnson has a a very interesting sort of segue into american urbanism with the white slavery hysteria and how he ends up getting arrested for uh you know transporting or driving with his girlfriend essentially across straight lines uh, state lines um but when i was looking for for sort of literature in that time period i remember 
coming across one article as a Jack London, and I thought this can't be uh, the case. <laughs> but it seems historically what you're talking about um, was the case. Could I ask how long it? You said you it took you a while to become content or uh, established in your own, um, I, I guess, consciousness. We can say how long did that take you? Oh man. Um, well, yeah, I would say it's a very gradual process. And I would also, you know, point out that I don't know if you ever feel cho- totally content in anything you do. Cause there's always like the identify, you know, you do you want to completely identify with one thing that, uh, you know, I have a Twitter feed. It's mostly about MMA, but is that really, you know, indicative of who I am as a human being in general? No. I mean, you're catching a portion, you're catching the very public portion of what I do. So, is there a bigger, you know, bigger, broader world and all that going on? And that could I be doing stuff uh, artistically beyond that? Yes. And so I feel like those those things are always out there. Um, there, I, I don't feel like I'm, you know, I, that I'm that I'm kind of tied to the fight game in that sense. But in terms of what you're asking, yes, I I feel like it, it was a gradual it was a gradual thing to to start feeling like you're doing it correctly or you're getting to some kind of, um, or, you know, under the surface of what's going on, not just within like, not, not in the usual circles of like, Hey, what, what is the promotion lying to us? Or is this guy really in the best shape of his life? But really about motivations and, um, struggle, you know, human things. And so once those, when the, when, when those things were, when I felt like I was communicating those things, when I was able to start, um, getting into that, not just with the fighters, but within myself, when I could actually communicate that, I felt like I was, you know, you're scratching something that that has been there the whole time. That's the whole point, right? Is to get into that that rhythm where you feel like you're you're getting below the surface and you're actually communicating. You you feel like you're in the mind of the reader. Hmm. Um, I feel like those types of things are really, you know, you're speaking for a collective, right? You're adding a voice or a big picture um, sensibility to what's happening. And a lot of times, you're you're a lot of times you're a calm voice in, a, in hysteria. And I feel like those things, you know, all of that adds up into something like contentment. You know what I mean? It's like, it, it, it gets to a point where you're like, okay, I'm keeping level-headed. Um, I'm seeing levity where everybody else is seeing gravity or, you know, and as long as you're able to communicate that and people kind of know what you're doing and they enjoy it, I think that's a big part of it. It should be enjoyable. It should still be entertainment to read these types of things. I feel like I've uh, I, I've gotten to a place where I can feel pretty good about that. Is there is there um, a platform in which you found the your your craft as a writer reach its sort of uh, a comfortable maturity? Is there can you pinpoint not a, a year but a certain set of years where this this occurs yeah i can actually um i struggled man just like anybody i you know you can go back and anybody who wants to write or anybody you know they get that gets paralyzed by like a blank page you know these old these old tropes these old cliches about like the cursor freaking them out just seeing it waiting for <laughs> type something those type of things i never quite had it like that because i would i would rather write nonsense than not write you know so you just start writing anything but I certainly went through a stretch, man, in the '90s, especially. I, I uh, when you when I started to take it seriously, like I wanted to get into it. Where you know I was batted back time and again by, yeah, regardless of what it was. I, I sent out short story submissions. I tried poetry. You send these out, nothing was getting published. I would try to uh, 
I, I when I was in college, I did some stuff for the local paper, the Metropolitan, uh, where I was writing, you know, about sports, but other stuff like art. I was I was doing stuff as very it was all over the map, you know. I kind of had a little bit of rooting. I think it kind of came from that. But when I really got serious about it, I struggled and struggled. Uh, I went to the to the LA Weekly hmm. in Los Angeles. That's kind of like the Village Voice in New York, uh, the, the now defunct Village Voice. But in the day, it was a booming enterprise, man, and had the best voices. So many, so many voices in that one place. Jonathan Gold was there. Manola Dargis was there. Um, Charlie Rapley. The, there was, it was like a who's who. And I was kind of, you know, starstruck in that way of working with these types of people. And I was, I basically interned there and I got a little bit of a foothold on um, and how, how a paper like that works, how they put it out, how they get their content, all that stuff. And then I, I went into a proofreading department, which was a tremendous help for me. Because then you're you're reading very carefully content, you know, and very good content, and you're trying to find the flaws within it, you know, that helped me out a lot. But the struggle continued as even you know even even as I started getting my byline through at the LA Weekly and I was doing all that, it, it went on for a long time. Um, and to cut it long story short, I I kind of freelanced after that for a couple of years, and then I got a chance to uh, become an editor, an editor-in-chief at a new alternative weekly called the Inland Empire Weekly in California when I was living in New York. So I ended up taking that position, going back to California and living in the Inland Empire and running a newspaper. And with our budget being as low as it was, um, I would end up writing a fair amount of the content and I'm talking stuff that you had to kind of really process quickly. Like as you know, if you, and all over the place, all over the map, whether it was art, it was music, it was film, it was sports. It didn't matter if it was news, if it was politics, you had to kind of process on the fly um, and get very good at essentializing what a point, you know, what, what your angle would be, what, what is your take? Or if, if it's not that kind of piece being an alternative news weekly, what's the news or what, what are you trying to communicate? So I, on the fly and without having to think about it with the deadline looming, I'm writing massive amounts of content every single week for that paper. And I don't know how many people read it. It's, it's one of those things. Like I look back on it and I'm like, I got very little feedback. I mean, there were the people you, the, your subject matter you'd hear from uh, stuff like that, but you didn't hear from, you know, in general, um, this was before I was on Twitter and all that stuff. So it was kind of like writing in a vacuum or, you know, you were, but, but just getting the exercise, you were getting that exercise for like maybe two, two and a half years straight where I just was writing like that weekly on deadlines, you know, and it helped tremendously, man. I, I can't even describe how that turned me into the writer I am now, because after, after you do that long enough, you trust when you've hit the first note of your voice, you, you trust that you're uncovering your voice. You understand what that means to have a voice hmm. that that really helped me so that 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 made i think it was about two and a half three years i, I can't remember the exact time frame that i was at the ie weekly but that time there uh was invaluable to me I, as soon as i was done with that um it, writing became a lot easier you know everything i took on after that regardless big small doesn't matter the how big this subject was or how involved how many people you had to talk to it all seemed accessible and easy at that point for me what 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 time period of your life are you in uh, when you're running this uh newspaper that would have been about 2005 or 6 right so um so i'm in my you know i so 2006 i'm in my 30s already you know so that's how long i've been at it um that seems very young to be at that level though right i mean to be that kind of responsibility it's a different world now right like but back then 
one thing led to another to another and the the paradigm was in place you know newspapers were kind of the thing still alternative news weeklies were still like this left idea of what's going on in the world or this skewed version of what's going on in the news world basically a kind of counterculture um paper a publication so just working at the LA Weekly, working around those people subconsciously and consciously, you're putting together your own body of work. You're figuring out how to do these things. So you could say that I've been at it, you know, th since my mid twenties in terms of uh, putting all of this together, but it was in my young thirties when, uh, very young thirties when I took that gig and I, you know, that's when it all started to click into place for me. And when is the, when is the transition to sports, pure, pure sports for you? So, and it's funny because I was just mentioning one thing leading to another. It is, it is like that. It's like this chain work, right? Because as I'm working at the Inland Empire Weekly, I was, I've always loved sports. Okay. So that's, I've always watched sports. I've always seen, you know, not to, not to sound profound here or something, but I've always seen more in sports than maybe what's being talked about or being reported. You see, you know, I felt like there were stories and stuff not being told. But, uh, you know, I've always loved the competition, honestly, and I've always felt very romantic about being from a specific geographical location, me being from Denver originally, you know, you hold on no matter where you're at in the United States or the world, you still hold on to your, your loyalties and stuff like that. I was always into that kind of idea. So I've been following sports since I was a kid. And um, I just felt like sports was not going to be expressive enough of, you know, for me, I felt like I was... I don't want to say too good for coverage of sports, but at some point, you know, in your young, in your twenties, you're thinking, you know, sports is too easy. I don't, I'd rather have a challenge. I want to write stuff that's complicated. You know um, you want to travel the world and, you know, talk about art and, you know, politics and things that are plaguing humanity. And you know what I mean? Like you're thinking in big grand scope ideas and, uh, I'm thinking of literature, you know, you're ultimately thinking, I'm thinking of books. I want to write books. And I still think that way, but I will get, you know, that's, that's to come, but I, uh, I still think in terms of books, but I wanted to write books and sports always seemed like the easy platform. It, and, you know, I just didn't revere it enough, I guess, on the level that I wanted to communicate. So at some point, man, after you get batted back enough, you start to look around and say, you know, maybe I should do some sports stuff, but just write it from a different, you know, write it as a writer, be a writer, be a writer through sports, as we were mentioning. So in the, as I was the editing the Inland Empire weekly, um, at some point kind of late in the process, actually, because it was UFC 70, is it 78 or 77? One of those, one of those, uh, Dan Henderson was getting ready to fight Quentin Rampage Jackson. Both, both fighters were based in my neck of the woods where I was at. So I remember I, I wrote a couple of pieces about that fight. Um, you know, one in the lead up, I think one in the aftermath. It was fun because I'd, I'd peripherally watched fighting, you know, like obviously I'd watched the UFC and I'd, I, like I said, I mentioned, I love boxing writing. I love boxing going back in the day. So uh, it made sense for me and it was, and I, I, it was very fun. And so Dan Henderson got booked into another fight, UFC 82 in Columbus, Ohio against Anderson Silva. And I looked at that fight and I thought, you know, man, he's fighting for the title. Anderson Silva is kind of like this uh, boogeyman who's out there like terrorizing um, that middleweight division. And he was so good at the time. It seemed like he was invincible. And I remember thinking, let's do a big lead up about Dan Henderson um, every week. Every week we'll do something about his, how his training's going, you know, talk to him, get these different, different perspectives. 
So I did that. I did for like a month long. I follow him around a little bit. I would meet up with him once a week. I went to Big Bearways training in, in uh, Tito Ortiz's uh, cabin up there in the woods. And, I, you know, I got a chance to meet a lot of other fighters and all that stuff. So I, I did the lead up. And to cap it off, I made a cover. I was like, I'm going to do a cover story. I'm going to go to Columbus. I'll do a cover story coming out of it about Dan Henderson, you know, because I had the context of uh, his training, everything. So I'll do a cover story coming out. So I went to Columbus. Dan Henderson, you know, fought. It was a, it was the first UFC that I had attended live and all that stuff. And uh, Dan Henderson lost. And I came back, wrote the piece, and it was, I loved it. You know, I mean, I loved the process. I thought the piece came out well. It was cool to see the cover. I had there was a photographer, Eric Williams, who I still keep in touch with, uh, who gave me this great cover shot. You know, it was like this really great profile shot of Dan Henderson. So the whole process I did, and it just reminded me of back in the day when I'd read those boxing chroniclers. Man, I was like, this is fun. And there's so much. There's so much about the fight game that's is it's in you know it's endless. The kind of stories you can get from fighters, their motivations and what they are, who they are, why they do it, you know, the broken nature of maybe where they came from, the wholesome nature, the people, you know what I mean? They just goes on and on. And I, uh, I enjoyed that process. And that's how it started. I mean, for me, that's really the first piece I had, I had written other sports pieces, but that was the first piece where I was like, I can do this. I can, uh, I can write, I can write about mixed martial arts and communicate, not just, you know, kind of more of a worldly idea of things through that, but I can also feel like I'm doing what I set out to do, you know? So it kind of married those two things together and, and off we went, man. Uh, from there, I was, uh, people saw that piece and I did stuff for uh, Thomas Trebezi at UFC.com originally, cause I was still doing the, I was still editing the paper. I did some stuff for him. And then that led into fight magazine. Like I was talking to you about where I talked to Ben folks and all that stuff. And from there, it just kept going. All of a sudden, I was doing cover stories for Fight Magazine. Um, and, you know, each one of those was like this big evolve, involved process where you're meeting the fighter and you're trying to get into the to their lives the best you can. And it just kept going, man. And uh, <laughs> one thing led to another. And here I am today, like 10 years later or whatever it is, um, still doing it. It seems like the the thing that anchored your passion in a way was this long story meaning meaning following dan henderson around for a month um but that so that was the key for you that you could you could marry some of these passions about short stories literature into into a a a larger sports format yeah i think so um just the process of it and honestly man just being like uh, dropping in into that world um at the time it was a little bit of a different ufc uh, it was a, a lot more accessible and it was on a smaller scale. Obviously they were, it was Columbus. They were, they're at the, the big arena in the nation, nationwide arena. I think it was called, uh, it was the big arena and all that. So they were, they were already doing big shows, big sold out shows, but, and the sport was nowhere near where it's at today, but just being in that world, seeing, you know, being around the, the people learning, you know what I mean? Like there's a lingo, there's a vibe, uh, the, you, you, you just get around that and you get, you get a little bit hooked like right away. Cause it just, there's so much to it. There's so much reverence. There's a lot of courage and there's a lot of like people out of their comfort zones, which I, I really love. I think that, and I, I've maintained these certain things about this where I'm like, don't ever forget these things. Like people out of their comfort zones being a big deal, because I feel like, you know, what is back in the day, I felt like it was the anti PC movement. It was like, it was, it was like, 
it was like rock and roll, today's rock and roll, right? Like it had the most dangerous vibe. There was a taboo still attached to it. There were ominous symbols all over it. It was just kind of, um, it spoke to me. Uh, it spoke to me in a lot of different ways. I thought it just, it hit a lot of notes. It made people uncomfortable, but the, what the people put them through to get in that cage and, the, and even the training partners and the people uh, associated with it, it just, it was people operating on a whole different level. Um, then you just catch if you're just co covering baseball or if you're covering basketball or something like that. Like it, it, people have their routines and it's all um, fairly straightforward in how they they go about it, even with the new science and everything. I felt like fighting still maintained its base raw edge, you know, like, and I still do to this day. And it communicates a full picture to humanity. Like it, it, it should be dangerous, right? It should be vulnerable. It should be courageous. It should be all those things. So I... I saw all of that and I think that that's, you know, just writing about it and feeling like I got it all in there. I got it all in the piece and uh, it made me feel good. You know what I mean? So yes, I would say that that piece, just doing that, being around it and writing the piece and feeling satisfied with it. I felt like that was the beginning um, that kind of got me hooked into it. I think it's probably a, a, a field of dreams reference, but the, it, when you think of, when you instinctively answer what sport is directly linked to American culture for me, the quick response was always baseball. Yeah. Um, but when you actually think about it historically, there is something quite fascinating about the deep tie between the fight game in general and American culture. I mean, if, if you just think about breaking the color barrier, I mean, Jack Johnson predates any ventures within, I think, both baseball and tennis by at least several decades. And the way he breaks the color barrier is something that triggers a very deep, schism within american society in a way that other sports really i mean of course when when within other sports the color barrier gets broken something drastic happens uh some revolutionary spirit gets awakened but in terms of you know the early 1900s jack johnson effectively you know knocking down any caucasian boxer that goes in his way in a brutal fashion and i think that's a time period when there's no round limit right so they're fighting 60 70 80 rounds or something of this sort but i, I yeah. thought you know historically it's quite a um a, a beautiful sort of field to venture into but i think the the other one that was interesting to me with your craft specifically is that i i was curious if you could write the way you write i know again you have brief articles here and there that venture into other sports but it seems like there's something about the fight game that gives you a constant supply of protagonists antagonists grand stories that of course they're grand rivalries within you know red Sox and yankees and things of that sort but it never really goes down to the human level the way it seems it can go down to within the fight game do you, do you see yourself being able to write the way you write consistently at the pace that you write if it was another sport um that's a good question and that's one of the lures for me obviously was that i felt like uh, there was so many there was so much material it was just and and like i mentioned there there weren't a lot of people who were trying to be writers within the within the uh, within mixed martial arts i still think that um, it was still, you know, early on, uh, these days there are obviously a few more people who are trying to be like that, but I think that it, I've said this a lot, uh, when, and I have, you know, I haven't done a lot of these types of things where I'm talking about my career or how I got into this, but when I am asked about it by fans or whatever, you know, 
I do think that it is a game that keeps, you know, if you want to consider it a game, it's a game that keeps, keeps on giving. I mean, every time there, a new person kind of comes up uh, or an old guy is going out, there's a story to be told. The context matters more. I think for fighters, you know, being just uh, being in a cage or being in a ring, it's a more literal thing they're doing. It's more extreme. Um, you know, it's dangerous. Uh, you know, we just saw, we just saw um, Max Dadashev. I mean, what a, you know, the boxer who died this last week, I think there was another boxer who died. It's just these types of things happen. And it is a reminder of um, what's, what, what's actually really at stake in these types of things. And, uh, you know, those, when you look at it like that, that you can have the whole gamut of extremes from a, from tragedy at one end to comedy at the other, or, or in everything in between. And I, and maybe the comedy is more, you know, I don't know where the comedy lies, but there's, you know, it's, it's also absurd, right? There's, elements of the absurd it's frivolous it's um it's corrupt it has every single it, it covers all bases it's like it, it is literature you know fighting is literature in that sense so i think that and in, in that way when you look at it like that yes you can it's it's like an endless supply you know of material there's always something i don't even really people ask me a lot like hey do we, when you're watching fights and you know you have to write a post-fight column essentially which i'll do the next morning generally i don't usually do it that night i like to kind of marinate and watch what i watch but uh they'll be like do you just are you watching it and forming what you're going to say and i'm like no i, I never do that um I just watch what happens and kind of pay attention to how it happens and kind of what's said and what the feeling is around it. You go to bed and you wake up and you think about, you know, I don't even, it's almost like it's an, a subconscious pursuit at that point. You just start writing something about the guy you want to talk about and whatever happens, happens with the piece. I don't really have big expectations for it, but I always find if you trust that subconscious layer, like you, you end up communicating everything that needs to be communicated. Um, and I feel like the fight game has never let me down that way. So would baseball do that? Maybe baseball might be the closest second because there's, um, there's so much to the game, but at the same time, I, I don't think anything is quite like fighting in that sense. I think fighting, uh, it, it checks a lot of boxes for me. In terms of process, the the method that you just described, where you you watch, it sounds like you don't take notes either. Is that correct while watching? Generally, no. Um, I I find it. I mean, I've been doing this now for enough years, where, I, you know, and and you can always revisit, obviously, because so much is online. Like, so much is recorded online. You know, just things that happen. So anything that's really pertinent like that, like you can go back. I never think about. I find that I write better if I don't overthink it. If I just sit down and start writing um, something, you realize subconsciously or consciously, or maybe it's you know it's kind of a cross section between those two things. Like you, you get to these points that you didn't even realize you were trying to make. It's almost serendipity in a lot of these pieces because you realize that you're you're going towards something that you didn't really quite understand you were going towards, and you just hit upon it. And a lot of times, people will uh, talk about you know, something that, you know, something that I happened on, but that's exactly what it is. Uh, the angle was that I happened upon it by sitting down and writing and, uh, it's unusual, but I've learned to trust that man, because I realize your mind is working over everything that it's seen. You just trust that you're going to get, you, you just trust that it's all going to come out the, that, that day when you sit down to write it. Is, is that a process you had to learn? I mean, were there time periods of your, of your career where you were 
approaching it differently that you didn't for instance let it marinate overnight or that you were taking notes in a much more active way i i think it is it's just you know it's it's just it's just trust right i think that at some point you feel confident i don't even know if these are the right words to be honest but like you feel you feel right uh you learn your own process i i feel best i feel most right when i do it this way if i take notes it's almost like you're preempting some process or something. I don't know how to explain it. Like you're, you're, you're putting, you're putting like a, um, an artificial layer in before you even get started. And so to me, now I know everybody operates differently. It's better to not take notes and it's better to just process, just watch, just observe, uh, and let your mind just kind of work over the whole situation. I, I honestly put no pressure on it whatsoever. I, I watch fights. I have fun. A lot of times I, I drink beer with my buddies uh, or whatever, even drink beer watching it just by myself or, you know, whatever. Like you just kind of hang out, watch the fight, process it. And, you know, a lot of times you'll pay attention to the post-fight stuff, see what, see what people say, whatever. But, you know, I try to find like some kind of – I don't try to. I, I feel like I – am tuned to the deeper meaning of whatever's happening. And I feel like I trust that, you know what I mean? And so taking notes now, I, I don't usually do that. If I'm, if I'm doing a profile on a guy, uh, I'm going out of town or whatever, and I'm talking to somebody, I will take notes, but they're the strangest notes ever. They're like, they're, they're association notes to, to remember like a train of thought, you know, it's a, it's not like I'm writing literal notes where, uh, Hey, he was training at this, at you know, blah, blah, blah. It's more like, uh, you know, candy wrapper or something. And it would be like, well, that meant, uh, you know, th this, this would remind me of some train of thought about how uh, he littered or, you know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just, that's how I kind of operate on those levels. But uh, the real, the, 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 the stuff that's the real meaningful, I feel like the columns are the meaningful stuff. That's what I have always looked at it. Like that's the meaningful thing that you do is add like a, a voice to the fight game. And, and on that process, man, I just, I get up and I just write. And I, I, I trust that I'll get there. In terms of week to week, day to day, what is the, I mean, is there a specific, uh, I know there's quite a few authors who, for instance, speak of being in the same place at the same time, a very specific routine that they maintain while writing, a specific time that they wake up in order to write, or other people have a much more sort of anarchic way of approaching it. Is there, what is your, um, how does the act of authorship behave on a day-to-day -day basis for you? Personally, I like to write in the morning. I mean, I feel like uh, that's when my, my, my creativity is probably at its best. And that's when I'm clearest. That's when I can, uh, you know, there's, there's just nothing has happened yet. It's a clean slate. That's how it feels to me. Like you wake up, you can sit down, you write, um, you get the, the best part of your energy and you can put that in your writing. I feel like that that's, that's my process. I don't have a set time or anything like that. Obviously to do something, you know, with working at publications, uh, regardless if it was the ringer or the athletic where I'm at now, or uh, MMA fighting, and even at ESPN before then they want the stuff to go up in general. They want the stuff to go up fairly quickly. So they want it to, and I'm in the East coast of the United States. So, you know, that might mean waking up at 7 AM, sometimes a little earlier so that you can get the piece up by like 10 a.m. or 11 a.m. So it's really, it comes down to those types of time constraints and, so, uh, and, and trying to be timely, but with a, a bigger worldview uh, piece 
than just the the standard stuff coming out of fight night so it's like it's the slight evolution of that night that's all it is but i you know that i would say that that's like the only parameters i really deal in i if it's other kinds of writing and i mean i i, I do i try to write in general you know i keep a journal where i practice i look at it as practice anyway where you just communicate to your own self i'm the only one who's ever going to read it but you just I just write, you know, I just pin my ears back and write. I don't like, I don't try to think too much about it, see where it goes. And uh, I can do that at any time of day. And middle of the night is great too, sometimes depending, you know, on, on what's kind of happened, but I've had less luck uh, being as clear, I think, you know what I mean? And sometimes you creep into sectors of, I don't know. I, I feel like I, I, I'm not as satisfied when I do it in the middle of the night. Um, but sometimes that's the key. So I, I would say on whole though, man, I don't really have, I, I don't, I'm not really beholden to any kind of structure that way. Like I, I, you write when you have to, but in most cases I'm afforded the opportunity to just get up and write in the morning after, or, um, you know, the morning after something happens, like you can process it and write it in the morning. I always find too, the, the, I mean, it's, it's a different realm, uh, obviously, but in terms of architecture, urban design, or even writing, academic articles the nighttime writing um, that you're that you're describing it's the most painful one to wake up to because at nighttime sometimes you think you've uncovered this masterpiece and then you wake up and you often cringe um yeah something about ego inflation occurs really at nighttime it seems like um how is um you had one i think on on the mma beat too where you uh discussed the importance of your relationship with the editor Um, how many iterations does an article go through given the timeline that you're talking about for you? So you wake up blank paper, things have been ruminating, you start writing, you send it off to the editor, I assume they come back to you with refinements. How many, how many sort of stages does that go through? Well, what you're talking about is a fairly old school idea. Um, I, to be completely honest, So let me go back here and think about this. If we're talking strictly, let's just, let's, let's, let's keep it on the level you're talking about, which is more like the online presence. Like, so from ESPN to MMA fighting, to the ringer, to, to, to the athletic, these are, these are all different entities, obviously. And they have, they're, you know, they all vary in size and, and staffing and everything like that at ESPN. And this was maybe I, I wrote, I wrote for them. I, wrote columns for them from maybe 2010 to 2013. So I got a lot, you know, I was writing a ton of content for them and a lot of it was exactly what I'm doing now, but maybe in shorter bursts, like maybe they, they weren't as, uh, as long. The pieces were tended to be five, 600 words rather than a thousand, that type of thing. I would send that into an editor. Generally speaking, the only edits that happened were to censor kind of sensitive material. Like they would dumb down some words. They didn't like, uh, They didn't like you to use specific words, you know, ESPN, particularly, I remember the word beat, beat, like he beat him. They mm -hmm. didn't like that. They would change it. He defeated him. And I always felt like that was a disruption to my, I'm a very, you know, you, you think about the flow of your writing and, uh, you know, I think about this stuff a lot. You want to, you know, the fluidity or something. It's like, you want it to, you want it to be composed a certain way. They would change that. They would alter that sort of thing. And, Um, but that was it. It would post, I would never see a second version unless it was a big feature or something like that. You might see a, a 
uh, a version come back to you revised or with suggestions where to edit, whatever, things like that. But very rarely. It was usually one guy, one or two guys who go to a copy desk and what they're checking is for, you know, errors in general. And then it would post. So it's more proofreading then. Yeah, more proofreading than anything. Um, editing, no, you know, not not so much. Then you go to MMA fighting and uh, no, I mean, I that that process was an island really because you'd write something this also makes you very good it makes you very careful you know as a writer and because you're a writer slash editor in your situation because you are on that island it's only you um we would have people cast eyes over it but not every time and we we have an editor um that editor in place was more a page manager i don't think it was a true editor in that sense of the word you know it wasn't going to go through um, on the longer form pieces, yes, we would get a little bit more of an edit, you know, an edit, and it was more of like suggestions like, hey, I don't think we need to mention this or we should take this out. Not really in the traditional thing that you're talking about, um, you know, between an editor and a writer, like where you're kind of trying to figure out how to get the best out of the piece and and make it as clear as possible or get to the get to the notes you're trying to hit, things like that. Like it, it was nothing like that. So that that whole process, which was all the way up until this year, I've operated on that island. Um, and the ringer is the closest to the one that you were talking about because you would send it to um, you would send it to an editor, and it would come back for revisions. And basically, this would be through like a um, a shared document, basically where there were notes and margins, and you would go through, and there would be like highlighted areas, like hey, this this is extraneous, or this needs to remember we're talking to, um, you know, a casual fan in this situation. So let's be a little bit more explanatory through this section, or can we, can we give some context here? You know, the stuff that you would expect from an edit, that was the pro that the ringer was the closest I had to that, where you're going through true editing experience, you know what I mean? And in altering your piece and trying to sharpen it and all that stuff. So and now I'm at the athletic where we have a guy, you know, we have Dan Stubb, who's a really good editor. He's from MMA Junkie. And he goes, he goes over, uh, you know, he, he's a, he's a very good editor from what I've been able to tell so far. I've only been there for about six weeks or something like that, but he's been uh, doing a phenomenal job and, uh, and coming back to me with anything that, you know, queries, all that stuff. And then we go through a little process before it posts, you know, but it, it's a lot different of a world, man, because these, we're, we're dealing in speed and volume in most cases. The Athletic is actually trying to take a step back from that and be more about the quality of content and trying to be more about the storytelling and trying to be doing, you know, be more in the vein of getting the best story and doing it correctly rather than just pumping up material. You know what I mean? So, uh, but all in almost all the other cases, it's just, hey, man, we need to keep rolling. We need to keep rolling. We need more content. We need more content. And that's just the world we live in now, you know, so that's kind of the process for me, man. So I haven't had, and I mentioned this, I think I know the the beat you're talking about. I haven't had the greatest relationship with editors. And the part of the problem with that is a lot of them are not editors in the true sense of the word. Um, they are either page managers or they are, you know, they're kind of thrust into the position of you know, more proofreading or they're just doing it because there's nobody else in the, you know, who's covering fighting that, Hey, you go, you go take care of the fighting aspect. They don't know much about it. You know, that sort of thing. I've, I've had that sort of, and, but even going backwards, I've had, <laughs> I haven't had the greatest, the greatest experience. And part of that was because of the, the paradigm shift and um, how 
you know, how news is disseminated and all that stuff. Like it's, it's just the, the whole game has changed over time. And I've been writing through that whole process. So I've caught, I've, I've been with every kind of editor, <clears throat> but I've never had that one where I'm like, man, if I didn't have this editor, you know, I wouldn't be where I'm at. I've never had that guy. I've never had the one where the made me better. You know what I'm saying? So I feel like that's uh, I, I feel like there's a little bit of envy in me when I read the other writer's stories where they're like, you know, this editor made me better. Hmm. That's just something I haven't had. <laughs> you know what I mean? Is it is there something to do with the I mean, even with the athletic, for instance, the pace that you're describing, it's still I mean, the the connection in my mind that I'm making is there was this uh, the name evades me at this time, but there was this legendary I think senior editor at the New York Review of Books. Um, I think who who was I mean you're probably much better versed with this area than me, but he he essentially kept pushing the refinement, refinement, refinement for periods that would. Uh, there's a very nice uh, article I think written about him once he passed away. The sort of an obituary within the uh, New York Review of Books, but the way writers talk about it, it's almost an exhausting process where you know you wake up and there's three new books delivered to you that you should read in order to write this review of a book that you know was already dense enough and he he would just keep sending you new material to become more and more um involved within the domain that you're you're writing this review about but that's how they discuss the editor in that realm and it sounded like the timeline for those was i mean months if not I assume months, it, it probably didn't stretch into years, but it sounded like each piece could have taken several months in writing. Um, but for years, the athletic, um, what what is the pace that you're referring to? I mean, is it is it instead of a Monday finish, you're talking about a Tuesday or, or a Thursday? What What's the, um, the pace of deliverables that, that you're dealing with now? Well, first of all, you know, I grew up, you know, idolizing almost the process you're talking about. I... I used to think the greatest part of uh, being, if you're going to get into journalism or you're going to get into long form storytelling like that for publication, that process is what was really romantic to me. The idea that you were, you would peel back layers upon layers of a story that you're not only telling, but learning about through that process and could drag on and probably should drag on for months because it's that involved of a process. You know, the New Yorker, a lot of those pieces I know they've even changed over time, um, but you know the New York. A lot of those pieces were obviously so involved that they took months and months to put together. I mean, they were, they were exhaustive in terms of the kinds of things that they had to delve into to get the story. Um, that's the way I thought I was going. You know, that when you when abstractly when you're coming up in the game, you're thinking like that. Uh, the best case scenario is you're getting to work on, you know, a piece that's going to require. A lot out of you, a lot of your time, a lot of your patience. Um, it's going to test your sanity, maybe, because of having to deal with that editor. I just, I've never had that because I think by the time I was uh, really coming up, we were past those times. Not that they don't exist. I mean, but they're they're at the. It's a dying breed. Like a lot of this stuff, it just happens so quickly. Even Paris Review and the New Yorker, and you know, the, some of the places like that that uh, traditionally we're talking about, like they they have to think in terms of volume these days too. Um, it's just, it's the way the, it's the way it works when you get to, so getting back to your question, I mean, the, the athletic is, it would be kind of 
I think a cross between the things we're talking about. I don't, I don't think any publication within the sports world, unless you're Wright Thompson, um, you know, on with ESPN, who they just give that kind of leeway to. I just don't believe there's a ton of opportunity to say like, Hey, we want you to write this piece on so on so-and-so or on something and take as much time as you need or take three months. I just don't think that those things exist, not in the realms that I'm dealing in. Um, but at the athletic, I think that they want, they want to be closer to that idea than they want it. Then, then they do the, you know, jump in the, you know, the, the, the news feed, you know, like let's, let's keep up with the news feed or anything like that. They want to kind of be between the two things. They want to get quality storytelling. So they're giving you extra days, you know what I'm saying? Like uh, days to put it together, but not, I don't think that anybody would be too comfortable if you're taking a month on a single piece, unless you were doing it around the other stuff, you know, other smaller stuff, other basic coverage stuff, other columns and things like that. I don't think that you can take that time anymore and uh and put it together not in my experience i know it exists but it's it's not it's it's rare you know what i mean like and it's not it's not in the in the world i'm dealing in well with mma too i mean if you take a month you're already four events behind right and that's the other part there is no off season and you know man it's just uh it's just a different mentality these days i think if you do spend a lot of time on a piece it shows people understand it but there are a lot of readers these days who I don't even know how much they distinguish between a work of true, exhaustive, journalistic, you know, like writing where you're just going through the process and speaking to numerous people and traveling around and getting the story and the nuance and the truth, you know, versus somebody who, you know, gets on the phone with two people and throws something together in a day. I don't know that, you know, it's fewer and fewer people who can tell the difference between these stories. You know what I mean? And that's discouraging, but I, I cling to the, I cling to the former thing that, you know, if you do a really good story, you're catching the right people and you're writing it for those people who still care about that. So for you, audience actually bears that much of a, an importance in your own mind. I mean, you're, you're clearly recognized within your peer groups as being a very strong figure, but it seems like the, the, the capacities of the audience still play a, that strong of a role for you or that significant of a role? I mean, only in the, only, only when you're thinking about like this, when we're sitting around talking and, you know, you're, you're, you're thinking of it from a, from a different perspective, you know, but I, ultimately I write when I'm writing, I'm writing to, I, I don't like dumbing things down to attract, you know, I, I don't need to dumb things down. I feel like wherever I write it, at whatever plane of an intellect, I, I trust a reader will meet me there. That's what I do. I don't dumb it down. I know some people have, I've had editors too, and this this is another, going back to your question, I've had editors that want you to dumb it down to an extent, or they think you're being too worldly, or they think you're being too cute with whatever, or, you know, they think you're being too abstract or esoteric or whatever you want, you want to say, like you're going into sectors, they don't understand the humor, maybe they don't understand uh, why you're being more raw, you know, in certain areas. But there's a reason for all of it. When I, the way I look at it, there's a reason, there's a rhyme and a reason for everything you want to put to page. And the bottom line is, regardless of which way you go or what angle you're taking, I trust that the reader will meet me on the plane that I'm setting it out on. So in other words, if I'm writing something that's a slightly elevated or slightly higher minded than your typical stuff, 
I would hope, and I believe honestly that my readers will go to that level and, and meet me there. And I think, I think that just having that, that sort of trust, I guess, uh, in that process and that, the, the, that yeah, I will be met on those levels. It, it works for me. It makes it a very positive experience and it makes it very accessible to do. Does the pace prove taxing in terms of, let's put it this way, the way you just described it, you, you can sort of write a piece that's too worldly. You can write a piece that's too lofty. Um, I don't think you use the word lofty, but assuming that that occurs and there's a certain pace to MMA that frankly seems a, a bit more exhausting than other realms. Um, is there, is there, how do I ask this? Is there a time in which, because of that pace, when you look back, that you had lost a part of your voice to mm. either being too lofty or too worldly? Because it seems, let me put it in the context of architecture, you form a building, it takes multiple years, you, you have a huge amount of time for digesting what you've done um, and reacting to it intellectually. Uh, to the point where, I mean, it's it's often rare, I think, to have uh, built work in the end that you're wholly um, appreciative of because it seems to be like a reflection of yourself two, three, four, five years ago. But for you, it's, I mean, such a fast pace that it seems like there may be a difficulty in giving yourself the space to objectively digest what you just wrote. And it's, I would assume maybe you can get caught in a bit of quicksand there. Has that happened to you? I mean, in terms of looking back on your work and saying, wow, that stretch of writing was quite unusual. Yeah, of course. I mean, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. And I, I mean, there are, there are times if I go back and open an old piece, um, you know, there, you're, you're just as likely to cringe as you are to say, Hey, that wasn't bad. I mean, it could go either way, but I will say that, you know, it's funny. MMA being what it is, you know, the fight game, like you were mentioning, it just kind of goes on and on. There's no off season and it does uh, kind of endlessly supply you with material. Like, and, and given those two things, it's almost like the grand work and the way I look at it almost on some level is that I am telling one big story over the course of all the years I'll be writing, you know, like that all of it is connected essentially. Um, and all of it will be, you know, a, you know, kind of public record for <laughs> the way it went down. I think a lot of times, like in those ways, that's why I hate over explaining anything. Because if I were to look at multiple pieces of mine, let's say you take a piece from one year to the next to the next, and you look at them and all you see is like, you know, uh, Chris Weidman was the Hofstra based, blah, blah, blah. And the welterweight or, you know, or the middleweight, and you're constantly harping on those, that minutia, the details within, that's what bugs me. I don't like that. I don't like over explanation. What I want is the tap foot, boom, boom. You're explaining something. There's a, there's an energy that you're connecting from piece to piece. And as long as I feel like I'm connecting those pieces through that energy, I'm always going to be happy with it. Even if I don't like the writing looking back, even if I feel like I was being uh, showy, and I try not to do that, obviously. Like, you, I try to, I try to have levity, if anything, or benevolence behind just about all of it. I don't want to. I'm not a mean-spirited person. Um, I'm not one of those types. There's, you can read people's personality through their writing a lot of times and things like that. I try to come across the way that I see myself, um, which is, you know, that I'm on a hillside watching all of the absurdity unfold, 
and I'm taking a bunch of notes and I'm right. You know what I mean? Like, that's how I feel I'm doing it. And as long as I'm connecting piece to piece through that energy, I'll be happy with all of it. Even the, even the stuff that'll make me cringe. If you just took a snapshot of that, you know what I mean? Like, so I've, I've, I've sorted it out in my own mind as a, uh, as a kind of a, a stream, you know, that just keeps going. And, uh, and that's, that's fine. Some of it's not going to look perfect. You know what I mean? It's going to, it's going to be a little bit weird, but um, as long as your next piece you feel good about and you felt good about it in the moment, I just keep going with that, man. I just, I keep trying to just be the the guy who's um, adding that perspective on a weekly basis. What happens when it doesn't work on a, on a weekly basis? I mean, uh, it sounds like the pace now you have a bit more of a breathing room, but in terms of the Uh, you know, you have a fight Saturday or Sunday um, or a card Saturday and Sunday and you're trying to get a piece up by Monday and you sit down uh, in the morning like you're describing, blank page of paper. W what occurs to you when it doesn't come out? Is there is there panic with you or do you do you say, oh, I guess it was not the day for it? Hmm. It's so rare. And I'm, maybe I'm lucky this way, but it so rarely happens. Um It rarely happens for me. I, you know, the writer's block type thing. I, uh, it's funny because I think that you go through it, but in weird ways. It's just you're. It's more like you lose. Like maybe you get a little bit. Uh, you go through times where maybe you you read something that's really good, and you think, "Am I deluding myself into thinking my stuff is good? Maybe my stuff isn't that good, you know, maybe it should be better, or maybe I should be doing more of this. Maybe I should be analyzing more and, you know, kind of doing less of something else. I, you know, you go through very, you go through processes like that. And I think that that's mostly when I'm not sitting down to write, but it does play into the moment you sit down to write. There are times where you get a little bit of paralysis based on where you think you should be going, or maybe you should be putting more emphasis on something. And I feel like it's that it's like very nuanced and very peculiar and very specific. You know, it's like there, there are these things that that come up where you that's, you know, I take this all seriously. This is this is me. This is what I do. Right. So you want to do the best version of what you're doing always. And you always want to be getting better at what you're doing. And I think that those processes occasionally when you when you catch yourself and you feel like you're not some reason or if you feel like you're kind of doing the same thing or you're kind of stuck in a certain energy or something like that, you want to break out of it or you want to try something new. And I feel like I must be an adventure. I must be an adventure seeker on my own, like within my own head, because I I find it pretty easy to shift gears and try something new at that moment. Like I'll just hey, let's let's try a different perspective. I've done many pieces where you just If, if it feels like you're going to do something stale or derivative of your own stuff from like you, you might just throw something in there just to experiment and it kind of just, re, you know, revitalizes the the whole process again. So I feel like I got little tricks, you know what I mean? Like you sit down, if it's just, if I'm feeling a little bit like, I don't know, man, I don't know if I want to write about that. You try to find, first of all, the subject I have very, I have, I've been very lucky to have Uh, leeway in terms of what I want to write. So it's not like you have to write about something very specific. Like, uh, so that's good. So you can go a different direction if something seems like it wouldn't give you, uh, it's not going to get, get you where you want to be. But ultimately, man, I, I, I don't know. I just, I feel like I've got certain tricks within myself just because I've been doing it long enough to always produce something that's going to be satisfactory to what I've been doing. You know what I mean? 
So I don't have too much writer. I I never really have writer's block where I can't write. I feel like that that's the people who suffer that man. I feel for because I've never I've never had a situation where I've sat and looked at a blank page and uh, smacked my head and said oh, I can't do this. You know what I mean? And it seems like you're you're training within the running the newspaper at a young age and you know uh, creating that much content on a daily if not weekly basis seems to have supported that is it uh in terms of process are you are you finishing each piece within one sitting columns yes um man it's funny because i've gone through every iteration not iteration but i've gone through every kind of uh every kind of turmoil <laughs> or something like to possible when it comes to this but in terms of like actual calms as long as i can get you know that's why the morning is perfect you get up i can i can do it all in one fell swoop it's just it's pen to paper so to speak you know you're just sitting down you're typing boom it's it's done you get it done um if it's a piece where it's an involved piece like a feature type thing those can obviously expand uh but there are times too where i, I can write a three thousand word feature and feel like i did a satisfactory job on it in one sitting but there are plenty of times where for whatever reason i don't know if it's the subject matter or whatever it takes multiple times to sit down at it and it's just very difficult to break into any kind of creative energy on it um and and i'm usually talking about a feature where you're like profiling somebody or whatever um it's it's a lot harder to to jump in where you left off you know what i mean like to find okay where was how where was it's not a word it's not like you're jumping from one paragraph to another it's like an energy right like you're trying to break back into an energy of where the feeling of what you were trying to accomplish or where you were going and those things can be difficult and i've had you know i've done some long forms i did this piece on jason thacker uh it's called the uh in search of strange brew it was one of the ones that um one of the ones i'm more proud of because it was such an involved piece talked to many people and it took a long time to put together but what it really the hardest part to me was each time i'd walk away from it was walking back into it it was always like how do i figure out how to get back into the space of the type of storytelling the type of feeling that i was trying to do here and that's that can be hard you know that's the that's the hardest process but i feel like if you go back and you read it's like those magic pictures you know you stare at them long enough and all of a sudden the, the uh the image pops out and it doesn't leave your head for a while. So then you're, you're right back in the, in the energy of writing something the way you intended. And that's kind of the way it goes for me. Um, I know that this, that type of thing is different for everybody, but generally speaking, if it's something like a column or, you know, shorter type feature, I I do them all in one sitting just because it's easier for me to be in the energy. And I'm kind of obsessive to, to finish it, like to do it all while I'm in that energy and not walk away from it. And, and and what what's the what kind of time space of time are we talking? I mean, you wake up. Do you typically get it knocked out before like lunch? If it's columns, obviously I do them all in the morning. But if it's if it's a, I mean, it just depends. But if it's a type of feature that's pretty involved, and you may you know, there's a lot of times like I'll write like a basic outline, and I look at it more like I say an outline if it's a bigger feature. But I look at it more as like here's the spirit of the piece that I'm going to do. And I'll, I'll have the markers kind of associative words that are basically like, make sure that, you know, when it dives into this, you know, maybe this is where it gets poetic, whatever I see is poetic about it. Maybe that's where you express why it's poetic or whatever. In those types of pieces where there are shifts within your own energy, where you have to kind of um, change, you know, segue into other 
you know, other realms of thought within a single piece, those take a while, man. But, and it's very difficult because to do it in one sitting, sometimes it feels you get, you lose your bearings on a piece like that because you were in one, you're in one spot with it. Now you're trying to take it into another spot and you kind of like, wait a minute, does it, is this connect? Does this make sense? Those types, it, I, I've learned to take it where you're like, okay, I'm done for this for the day or whatever. I need to walk away from this for a while and, uh, and kind of, reconfigure like re get myself back together and then look at it from a different angle and then it, i'll be back into it so it depends it just depends on the piece but the type of stuff we're talking about normally i i most of that stuff i can do in a single sitting these days like i just i i know what i'm doing and i kind of i think i just know how i just know what i'm in for when i sit down so i'm already prepared for it you know what i mean so I, i'm able to kind of tackle it in one in one fell swoop I think it takes a very strange type of patience to be able to sit down and well, maybe obsessive is the, is the correct word there, but um, I mean the, the I, I would not have expected that. Like the, I think one of the articles of yours that uh, has has always stuck in my mind. There's a line where you're talking about Robbie Lawler and you call him the dropper of jaws or something like this. But I was I was certain that something like that must have taken a few iterations to you know, it, you get up, sit back down, get up, sit back down, maybe a day or two to be able to sort of tackle a phrase like that, that's skirting. It's, it's, it's sort of humorous, but serious at the same time. But you know, if it was some slightly different wording, it would have made you cringe. But it's, it's at that line where it's a, it's a, it's a nice balance of, I guess, levity in a, in a, in a, in a very grave situation to, to sort of echo what you were saying earlier. I feel like that's the balance, right? Like I, I was mentioning before reading guys like AJ Liebling to me, he was a humorist almost in the way he approached writing about boxing, you know, and as the sweet science to me is funny. I mean, it's ultimately funny, but it's, it's brilliant too. It's so brilliant that when you read it, it's just the, the lines themselves, you know, you could, you could take, you could take one of the chapters, you could take one of the fights, you could look at it from any way. You could say, I'm going to take just a chapter within this book and I'm going to read it and it would be brilliant. You could say, I want to take a fighter. What is his perspective on a specific fighter within this book? And it's brilliant. Or you could take a paragraph and it's brilliant, but you could break it down to a single sentence. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it would be brilliant, right? Like, I, and I feel like the thing you just mentioned, I appreciate you saying that because I feel like at the back of everything, I, I am a spiritual akin to somebody like Liebling because I have a poetic way of seeing it. It's usually off kilter, but it's almost always with an ounce of levity. And so I feel like that if, I, if I'm communicating that, I'm doing I'm doing my job. I think in in the end, there's a uh, there's a there's a there's a there's a poet <laughs> in me. You know what I mean? Like it just I hate saying it. Like you, it sounds so pretentious or something but i'm like uh that's what i feel like so you know you get into the i always you know you like to get out of your details the details of your piece a little bit and into the momentum of the piece and in the momentum of the piece i can let myself say those types of things and i feel like that's what people like you know my reader i you know readers i feel like that's the stuff that they're going to like because i'm not overthinking it and it, very, it is very much some voice within me that, that just does that. So I feel like I, uh, I don't, yeah, yeah. there are certainly times, don't get me wrong. 
I go back over my pieces and if I can find a better phrase or a, a better phrasing, I will fix it or I'll something humorous will strike me like, oh, I, why didn't I say this? I'll go back and I'll fix it. Um, so there, there, it's, there, there are layers to the process. I certainly edit the piece. I go back through and I add and I subtract and all that. But a lot of what you're talking about there is very much in the flow of it. And I love that. That's the, that's the most rewarding part of the writing is when you can just flow, you can write a couple of paragraphs in a row and you know that you've nailed it and you don't need to do much to it. You know what I'm saying? Is there something about, um, I mean, to tie it all back around, I guess this distinction between a, a columnist versus a journalist, is there something about the columnist that gives you the ability to, I think the image you used was, was a useful one, the, the, uh, sitting on the hill and observing, but is yeah. there something as a columnist that gives you that kind of detachment Detachment isn't the right word, but there's something where you're able to uh, see it almost from afar. And I, I wonder if there's something too entrenched about being a journalist that doesn't give you the same um, likelihood of of achieving that kind of floating voice. I don't know the I don't know if that's a term, but the way you're describing it, it sounds like you're able to achieve that because somehow you're both within the domain but outside of it. But I assume if you're a journalist. Uh, and you you identify yourself as this investigative journalist delving deep into um, stories or or you know sort of chasing after leads uh, that it may not give you the same kind of uh, freedom to do so. It's all in pursuit of the truth, right? So like journalism is set up to tell the truth. It's uh, it's a truth telling. It's news is supposed to be the truth. It's supposed to be. Um, an investigative journalist is digging for some variation of the cheese, trying to get to the truth, to the bottom of the story. I feel like that that's um, what journalism is. Whereas being a columnist, and like I said, maybe I'm not the I'm not the greatest fit as a you know a person who thinks of himself as a writer. But I think that some that's what a lot of columnists are. Like the really good columnists are basically writers who um, you know kind of focalize their energy on these on these specific things i you know they're like miniature essayists or something like they they break into these little topics and they put their voice into it i feel like that that's kind of the thing right and that that means personality and that means opinion and that means um in my case you know levity things like that like seeing it without you know gilding fact like not going into factual so much like I wrote a piece about Frankie Edgar that just ran I said that people ran up to, you know because gambling being sports gambling being legal now in New Jersey he hears a lot of people talking to him about hey I put some money on you you're the underdog you're going to make a lot of you're going to make us a lot of money you know going in this fight with Max Holloway but the way I described it is is that people are walking up with their tickets and showing him and saying hey don't let me down you know that's obviously not fact that's not literal but I can get by with that, you know, because you're just painting a picture. The essence is true. The essence is true. So I'm dealing with an essence of truth and I can make fun of fact. I can make fun of the truth. Whereas journalism is strictly fact and truth. It's also a very structured idea of how those things should be communicated. A columnist has a voice, right? Like I can structure the way I want to tell those stories. To me, that distinction is, is a big one. I, want to be able to do the kinds you know you want to be able to tell the you want to be able to tell a story 
in the way you want to tell it, but adhering to the essential truths. You know what I mean? So you're kind of like giving color to truth rather than adhering to strict truth. And I feel like that those, that just that basic distinction is uh, what, what draws me in that way. I couldn't do real journalism. I couldn't do stuff where you're, you know, there are plenty of people who are grinders and they're just, they go out there, they make their money, they, they uncover, they break news, they do all that stuff. I'm not that guy. And I knew that early on and I was never even interested in that. And in, in, in this world today that we live in, you know, they, they want you to fill all roles. They want you to be that kind of guy who's uh, out there getting news and all that. It was, it was a power, a, a constant struggle, a constant struggle. Like, That's not what I do. That's not what I do. And what you want is people to accept you on your own terms, you know, and uh, I think that being a columnist and stuff like that, and then, you know, ending up at the athletic, obviously, I feel like the greatest thing about that is I'm, I'm back to what I do strictly what I do well, you know what I mean? And so in that part, I, I think that they wanted storytellers, they wanted guys who could write columns, they wanted features writers, and they kind of get all of those with the people they hired, including myself, rather than, hey, we want you to also be you know, doing this other gig, which is a whole different, it's a whole different gig to be a journalist. So I'm much more happier in my space, man. And um, I couldn't, otherwise I wouldn't be. And I, I, I accept when people want to call me a journalist on the, on the level that I appear with journalism, you know, and what you're doing is, is by the book, I guess it's still part of journalism, but it's, it's obviously different. And um, I'm glad that I've carved out that niche. All right. Have you, have, do you know people who've been able to wear both hats successfully? Or is it just too heavy a burden? I just don't think you could be really sublime at either if you're do, trying to do both. I, I, I mean, there are plenty of people who try this, plenty of people who try it. But I'm like, I just don't really, I think that if you, if you have a voice or if you're trying to be a good sports writer or whatever, you need to find exactly what you do well. If it's profiling athletes, well, then you need to go do that. But it wouldn't be that you're going to... Um, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to profile, I don't know, you know, I'm going to profile John Jones and you write this very in-depth feature about this man that humanizes him on levels. That's a harder thing to do, right? Like you, that's, that's the, that's the writerly part to go dig out those things and to come to a determination to write it and present it to people in ways that they understand and see John Jones in a different light. That's a lot different than saying like, Hey, John Jones is busted again. And he's, you know, this is what he's facing and to just mark down the facts as they are and to update that story. Those are two different gigs entirely. So the people who attempt it, it's just ill-advised. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to, I, I don't think anybody should do, be doing this. And I think that the, the more we draw the line between those, those types of processes, the better. And I think the more readers want to distinguish those those lines, the better. And I think that anybody who pays attention to what the athletic is doing, honestly, and maybe what MMA fighting is doing would be able to draw those lines as well. And you'll know why maybe there's, you know, why it's more bang for your buck to actually subscribe to something like that. Um, if that's what you're looking for. So I think that, you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't think that you should do both things. I don't think that you can be good at both things at the same time. It seems like investigative journalism would take up so much of your day to day that the the brief moments for reflection that you have, given the the pace that you're describing, that you have to turn around even columns by, it seems like a very difficult sort of partnership to try to try to maintain. It seems like one way or another you lean towards the thing that you're stronger in. 
Yeah, I think that that's the case. I mean, there are plenty of people, and I've heard this a lot. I mean, people are like, hey, I couldn't do what you're doing. And they're good journalists. I mean, the types who everybody knows, they are very good journalists. There are people out there. Um, there are people who, like Ariel Hawani did it, you know, Ariel Hawani, I remember him saying to his early success, basically, half of half of getting to where he was at was just being there, just being on scene, making sure that he was wherever he was and then talking to the players, right? So he became a reliable source for the center of the action. That's something I couldn't do. I'm not motivated that way. I don't want to be at every event and I don't want to be putting a microphone in people's face, but that's a specific kind of journalism that he is very good at. He categorizes, you know, he's able to kind of keep files on fighters in the back of his mind, which I cannot do. I can't just uh, flip to, you know, a guy's index card in the back of my mind and, you know, that you're not in, you don't think that you're going to encounter at an event and be ready to, at the drop of a hat, be ready to talk to that guy. That's a different kind of journalism than I can do. I'm not a guy who um, does investigative journalism um, and knows exactly which stones to kick over through a process, uh, you know, through a process of um, getting to where they're going. I. That's not what I do either. So th they're all different gigs. Um, I'm just happy. I'm happy to. Uh, I'm happy to do what I do. And, and honestly, it took a long time to figure out exactly how to do it, and that I wanted to do it, and that this was made for me. So it's like I feel like everybody should go through that own their their own process of uh, introspection and trial and error to figure out who they are. But I I think everybody probably has an inkling one way or another if. If they're the guy who's going to break news, or if they're they're if they're the guy who's going to explain the whys, you know what I mean, and the hows and all those types of things. So that's uh, that's that's something I was able to come through through years, and I think a lot of people, a lot of people in our game now, it's matured enough where I think uh, everybody has most most journalists have kind of fallen into uh, where they're best at. Hmm. All right, Chuck. Well, I, I mean, I'd, I'd love to keep talking to you about this, but uh, I think I think I'll let you go at this point. But yeah, it's been great, man. Thank you. Of course, man. It's fun to kind of obviously I can tell that you uh, you're a bit more of a thinker than the normal podcast guy. So I appreciate that, man. It was fun to kind of hit on some of those themes. I think a lot of that stuff I've never even talked about before. So um, we covered some unique ground there. All right, Chuck. Thanks a bunch, man.